live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Wack Ops. What up, what up, what up? My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Welcome to Hardcore Casual, episode 15. What happened this week, y'all? Did y'all see what was going on on the internet? Or I guess you didn't see, because everything shut down. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Twitch, and we still have other news from Apple. All the big companies in the gaming space and the social media space have news. So we're going to dive into it. We're also going to go ahead and get into that what if finale. I told you I had something to say about it last week, and I definitely do this week. We also have for our trigger warning topic of the week this week, we're going to be talking about Far Cry 6 and a conversation about representation. So definitely stick around to the later third of this episode um, for that conversation. I think it's a really important one to have. I think you guys are actually going to really like it. Now, some personal news, some notes from this week. I just wanted to give you guys a clue in on what's going on in my life, and I'm excited to let you know that I finally got my hands on a ninth-gen console. I picked up an Xbox Series S. Yeah, that's correct. I got the $300 model mostly because I don't have a 4K television or monitor, so that doesn't really... It, I don't really need it. And as far as the compute power, I'm not really too concerned about the missing RAM. And at the end of the day, like... It's portable, it's sleek, and it's just what I need. I don't need anything more than that right now. And when I level up, then I think I can start with a 4K TV and work my way into the 4K section of this ninth generation. As far as what I've been playing, I definitely dove into that Halo Infinite test flight. That was really, really fun. I'm, I'm... I had a great time. I'm going to talk more about that a little later in the show. I also had a chance to finally get my hands on Marvel's Avengers now that it's on Game Pass. I'll have more information on that probably next week. And I've been playing a lot of Death's Door. And I got to say, Betty the Yeti is whooping me. So if anybody has any notes about that, please feel free to hit me on Twitter or shoot me an email. And as far as what I'm first going to play when I get... My new console, my new Xbox Series S, it's going to probably be Flight Simulator because I've been waiting to play that one for a long time. Forza Horizon 5 because that game looks absolutely gorgeous. Exactly what I think of when I think of a next-gen title. I'm definitely going to be playing that Halo after that test flight. Let's just say they probably already have my money. And if I'm not playing Halo, then I'm probably going to be playing Battlefield 2042 if... They fixed the bugs that I've been hearing that were happening during the uh, demo that was going on just over the last couple days. It's actually going to be happening over the weekend. It's happening today and tomorrow as well. And before we get into our headliners, I wanted to remind all of you out there that you can reach the show at our email or on our socials. It's going to be wackops at gmail.com, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, WACOPS, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Please subscribe, share, download, and review. It really does help us grow as a show, and I would greatly appreciate each and every one of you to tell a friend to tell a friend. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our headliners where we tell you what made the front page this week in games and entertainment, 
And to start, we got a quick announcement from Jeff Keighley himself. The Game Awards has been announced for December 9th, so definitely keep an eye out for the Game of the Year conversations that are going to be happening in the various gaming spaces. Definitely going to be happening around here. We also finally, finally got the last Smash character, and it's going to be Sora. Sora from the Kingdom Hearts series. Now, a lot of people were a little disappointed because they saw it coming. Personally, I'm not a big Smash person, but I was impressed that they were able to get some Disney IP over there. And I'm excited at the fact that this is one of the most requested characters that they've ever had for this game. And fans finally got it. So at least they tried to make the most people happy and didn't go so far into a direction that people would be, you know, it would turn off the core fan base like a Fortnite guy or something like that. We also got a Doom skin for your me fighter. So that was really cool because I know a lot of people really wanted to see Doom guy in there, but uh, you got, uh, you know, a consolation prize. Moving on, let's go ahead and actually sink our teeth into this Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp shutdown. Now, I'm going to be pulling a quote from CNBC. Quote, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp shut down for more than six hours on Monday. It marks the worst outage for the technology giant since 2008 when a bug knocked Facebook offline for about a day. But the service only had 80 million users then. Uh, so it went down around noon Eastern, 9 a.m. my time over here on the West Coast. And given that it was down for about six hours, I mean, that's that's prime time. I mean, in terms of work hours, and let's not lie to ourselves and act like hella people aren't on Twitter at work, I would argue those are peak hours for Twitter. Outside of maybe during a sports game or or a popular television show. Anyway, a lot of people were laughing because, let's be honest, I'm not on Facebook. A lot of you aren't. Instagram is, you know, I think a little bit generational between millennials and Gen Z, but I think Instagram is still a very popular thing. And WhatsApp, obviously, once you leave outside of this country, is very, very, very big um, in terms of just a, a messenger and a communication tool. So it's likely to have large reverberating effects, not only on people and social spaces, but also small businesses and, you know, of course, advertisers. And then we also had an interesting story around another giant in the gaming space, Apple. Now, this comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. Apparently, Apple makes more money in gaming than Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo combined. Quote, Apple raked in more profits from games than Xbox maker Microsoft, gaming giants Nintendo and Activision Blizzard, and PlayStation maker Sony combined in its fiscal year 2019 according to a Wall Street Journal analysis of figures released as a part of the company's recent antitrust trial. Apple's operating profits from games that year totaled $8.5 billion, according to the journal's analysis, exceeding the other four companies' combined gaming operating incomes in the same period. The tech giant said operating margins discussed during the trial were flawed and as a result, too high. Now, Cut all the fat off of that. And essentially, what they're saying is, is because of this Epic versus Apple lawsuit and trial that they're going through, it's been bared out that they actually are the biggest gaming company in the world. 
They're the 900-pound gorilla in the room. I mean, we'll see what Tencent looks like and Coke Media Group and different things like that. But no, I, I'm I'm almost certain that that would make Apple the biggest video game maker, or not maker, but profiter in the world. That's crazy. And you know why this is. It's because of that 30% that we had talked about when we talked about the Epic versus Apple case a, a week ago or two, two couple weeks ago. And it's because of free-to-play games. Free-to-play games make so much money. Apparently, it made in one year, this is before the pandemic, mind you, $8.5 billion for Apple, and that's only 30%, but from everyone. So remember, your average whale is spending over $2,000 a year on in-app purchases in these free-to-play games. It explains why every gaming company is trying to get into the Apple ecosystem through mobile gaming. Don't be surprised when Ubisoft makes a Assassin's Creed mobile game or a Tom Clancy Splinter Cell mobile game. You know what I mean? Don't be surprised when Activision Blizzard has their hand in it and EA has their hand in it. It's because it it's a cash cow. It's it's a it's gambling. <laughs> it's gambling like a casino. It's a casino on your phone. It's crazy. Except at least at a casino you can win real money. <laughs> it's better than a casino. So yeah, I would just say pay attention to this because I expect way more mobile games and not less. I expect at least every major AAA developer to have their hand in this pot if they want to stay competitive with the other AAA developers and publishers in the space. And I mean, I shouldn't even put it on the developers like that because I don't know how many people want to develop for these models. You know, I, I doubt that it's their fault that the the publishers are putting it, the publishers are putting pressure on them to sell. The developers want to make a good game. But if they gatekeep and they make sure that it's extra grindy and give you a way to buy your way out of that, I mean, yeah, their hands are in it too. It sucks. It sucks. So this is not good news to me personally. I like a competitive marketplace, and I feel like if Apple is able to sink their teeth into the gaming space the way that Google couldn't with Stadia and the way that Amazon hasn't been able to do, uh, with I mean, yes, with Twitch, but not to the same extent as $8.6 billion. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out into the future. And I, I really want to see what the pandemic numbers are. I want to see 2020. I want to see 2021 numbers. Um, but we're unlikely to get them because, again, this came out in an antitrust trial. So, ah. <sighs> That's that's kind of where that leaves us. Let's hope that we can avoid the free-to-play games. And if you know one of these whales, you know somebody who's spending over $2,000 a year on in-app purchases, definitely grab them, shake them, and, and let them know that this is not good <laughs> and then they should, they should find a new hobby or at least a different outlet for that hobby. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the word on the street. That's where we talk rumors gossip and controversy of course where would we start if we didn't start with the huge twitch leak now i'm going to be reading to you from vgc quote an anonymous hacker claims to have leaked the entirety of twitch including its source code and user payout information the user 
posted a 125-gigabyte torrent link to 4chan on Wednesday, stating that the leak was intended to, quote, foster more disruption and competition in the online video streaming space because their community is a disgusting, toxic cesspool. And of course, most of the takes on this were just like, yeah, because hacking everyone and putting their personal information out there is definitely not making it a more toxic, disgusting cesspool. But uh, let me give you some more details before we jump into it. Um, The leaks actually included the entirety of Twitch source code with the commit history going back to its early beginnings, creator payout reports from 2019, mobile, desktop, and console Twitch clients, an unreleased Steam competitor, codenamed Vapor, from Amazon Game Studios, and Twitch internal red teaming tools designed to improve security by having staff pretend to be hackers. So... There was ob- there was a couple of more things, but I mean, what's relevant to us here, that was definitely very interesting. Not only that they were working on a Steam competitor that they eventually decided not to get off the ground, and the fact that their red teaming tools were also in this hack is definitely not good because now they need brand new ones. Uh, they're they're going to need a whole new security. So basically, Twitch is wide open right now. It's It's treacherous outside. I'm sure Amazon could figure it out. Um, But Twitch actually ended up putting out a statement later that same day saying, quote, we can confirm a breach has taken place. Our teams are working with urgency to understand the extent of this. We will update the community as soon as additional information is available. Thank you for bearing with us. Okay, so most of the attention actually went to the creator payouts, which, you know, I guess I'll talk about here because at the end of the day, I don't really know the huge impact of this yet. Uh, I'm going to need some people much smarter than me to kind of break down the impact of this. And I don't know that we're going to see it for maybe like up to six months. And apparently the hacker has more information to drop. So we'll, we will see how this all turns out. But as far as the payouts are concerned, uh, Kotaku put out an article saying that uh, only 3% of the top earners are women, only one of which is a woman of color, and uh, very few people of color in the top streamer space. Now, granted, the top earners, you know, that top 0.1%, I was looking at the numbers and, you know, yes, they're big if you work for a living or, you know, if you don't know no better, like they're they're whatever, but... Yeah, that if you only read the top 10, the top 20 people, yeah, your eyes widen. But you realize that once you get around 50, it's it's a job. They're getting paid good job money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, some people are making like millions in a month. Crazy. But some people are not making millions in a month. Some people, some people who are you would think or would be very, very popular are making all right money. They're they're good. They're living. I'd like to make that money, but it's not it's not millions of dollars like how people exaggerate. But yeah, I would just say like honestly, dude, I don't think anybody's really surprised that the 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 majority of the top earners are white dudes. It mirrors many 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 places in our society, and I think that is why I talk so much about certain issues on this show is because these things are right in front of us. 
um, people were saying, oh, these these dollar amounts don't mean anything because we could have just did the math. All you have to do is look at somebody's sub count and do multiply it by one and a half or two and a half. You know what I mean? Depending on what their contract looks like. It's not hard. So definitely pay attention and more than get angry about the fact that most of the top earners are white dudes. Why don't you assess your Twitch uh, watching time and see how much time you actually dedicate to people of color and to female streamers or women streamers or whatever the case may be, LGBTQ streamers. You know what I mean? Like include these folks in your media diet. Otherwise, you're responsible for only 3% of the top earners being women. You know what I mean? So keep that in mind and also change your passwords because this leak affects your everyday user as well. It doesn't just affect the streamers. It doesn't just affect the company. Definitely go ahead and change your passwords on that and just anything else uh, if you're feeling up to it because it's always good to keep those updated. Now, let's go ahead and jump into our next story. It is all about these GTA Trilogy leaks. It has all but been announced, guys. I mean, we have a VGC report saying that the GTA Trilogy was rated in Korea last week. Then this week, we had Unreal GTA files found in the Rockstar launcher by members of the GTA forums. And then logos were later found in that same launcher and put out by Rockstar Intel. So honestly, just get ready for it. I would hope that it would drop this year, especially since they're putting, they're loading in assets to essentially marketing material into their site. I would hope that between that and the rating in Korea, that we're maybe within two months, like before Christmas, we should get this. I would hope. But after all the leaks and all the rumors, it is finally happening. I think all we need is an official announcement, and I wish Rockstar would just do it, but, I mean, good for them for just standing their ground and pretending like nothing's happening. <laughs> now, for our last story within the rumors segment of the show, we have Konami and its supposed revival of the Three popular franchises that I know fans are most excited about. That is the Metal Gear Solid franchise, the Castlevania franchise, and the Silent Hill franchise. Now, I'm going to be pulling information from both VGC and Gamatsu for this story. Now, the headline, or right under the headline, VGC had this to say on their article. Quote, the Japanese publisher will reveal major projects after a period of relative quiet. So apparently they're trying to aim for a part of the year where their marketing dollars can make the most impact. So not around E3, not around Christmas. But let's go ahead and dive into it. Starting with Castlevania. It's described as a reimagining of the series, currently in development internally at Konami in Japan with support from local external studios, according to VGC. Next, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid. Again, more from VGC, quote, the new project is currently in early development and multiple sources suggesting it would be centered around fan favorite entry Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater rather than the original Metal Gear Solid. And then last, Silent Hill, quote, multiple Silent Hill games are currently in development at various external development studios as per an earlier VGC report from February. Now, Gamatsu had a separate report. Gamatsu has also heard that 
a new Silent Hill is in development at a prominent Japanese developer. That studio is Kojima Productions, according to a publishing source that wishes to remain anonymous, who also said that the game is funded by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Okay. Whew, that is a lot between these two publications. They really dug deep for this story. I'm I'm really one, I'm really happy for fans of these series. Um, as somebody who, quite frankly, hasn't really touched these series all that much, I know they're beloved. And I know that they deserve way more attention than they're getting from the publishing and development side, not necessarily from the fan base. If you consider when the last few like new entries and how they've been received of these franchises have been, you know, the last 10 years has been kind of dry. Uh, I think Metal Gear Solid uh, 5, Phantom Pain, I think that was the last one that people really enjoyed, but uh, I don't even remember what year that came out. But outside of that, uh, I think Konami is mostly known for pachinko machines and the worst game in Steam history as of late. Of course, I'm referring to eFootball, previously known as Pro Evolution Soccer. So, you know, I don't have, I don't not have faith in Konami because they've been able to do it before. But as far as the Ko- Kojima rumors... Ah, I'm nervous about that one, man. I don't know. I don't know. They had a pretty public breakup. And then you throw Sony Interactive in the mix. It's just, it is, it is a curious situation. I really hope that both of these publications um, are correct. But something tells me that this feels a little bit like a wish list rather than uh, speculation or rumors or things that they heard. Of course, people hear all the time, hear things all the time that never come to bear. So I don't want to focus on the negative too much. You know what I mean? Honestly, I am really excited for fans of the franchises because they must be excited at just even the thought that Konami could try to do what they've done in the past uh, with this next generation of games and this next generation of hardware. I certainly would pick up a new Metal Gear Solid or Silent Hill on a next-gen console if Konami would be so brave. And, of course, they could keep their pachinko machine gaming mechanics out of the title. But with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first break. When we come back, we're going to get into the real segment where we talk all about this what-if finale, and we're also going to get into the platform war segment where we're going to go ahead and jump into the Bloomberg versus Nintendo showdown. So please come on back and join us. My name is Wack Ops and this is Hardcore Casual. Welcome back to Hardcore Casual. I am your host, Wack Ops. Let's go ahead and jump right into our next segment, and that is The Real, where we break down the latest in movie and TV news. Now, we're going to go ahead and start with this story that I've been talking about since, oh my God, August, July, whatever. Disney finally has settled with Scarlett Johansson. Now, this comes to us from Business Insider, quote, Scarlett Johansson and the Walt Disney Company reached a settlement in a lawsuit brought by the actress over the company's distribution of the Marvel movie Black Widow. The terms of the settlement were not disclosed, 
but Johansson was seeking additional compensation for her work on the film. Now, reports from the Wall Street Journal had claimed that Scarlett Johansson was seeking a total of $100 million. Now, of course, we don't know what the totals are, and I don't think anybody was thinking that she was going to get $100 million. But let's say she already got paid the 20 We knew that from when they were, you know, throwing hate at each other in the press. And if she started at 20 and she was seeking 100 I th- I think she was actually probably seeking closer to like 40 45 So if she doubled her money by doing all this, good for her. And I think even though she settled, I don't think anybody seriously thought that this was going to trial ever because uh, Disney has all the lawyers, right? So let's be happy that she got paid. And I hope this forces companies and actors to start restructuring these contracts around the streaming service platforms because obviously the streaming services were trying to get over. And thank God that Scarlett Johansson's team caught this. I, I don't know if Scarlett Johansson herself was reading through the contract and caught it, but I'm sure her team went through, caught it, and felt as though they can take action, and they did. And thank God, because it brought a lot of attention to a lot of people who are being cheated out of what they're due. You know what I mean? Whether it be $2 or $2 million, I don't want anybody getting cheated out of what they've earned. So that's what that is. And quite frankly, I think it's weird that people be defending Disney like they're a billion-dollar company. Relax. Anyway, moving on. Let's go ahead and talk about the new Venom 2 Let There Be Carnage. And their first weekend at the box office, they made... $90 million. Now, this is coming from the Hollywood Reporter. Quote, the Sony sequel hit pre-pandemic levels to come in well ahead of the first Venom, as well as helping to fuel the biggest weekend overall since the COVID-19 crisis struck in North America. So two big things about this. One, with the level of enthusiasm that I was hearing from the, you know, various comic book spaces that I frequent, there, there wasn't a lot. Not a lot of people were like, oh my God, I can't wait for Venom to come out. But apparently Venom fans have spoken because not only was this the biggest superhero film, not only is this hedging uh, or coming up on the Joker for biggest uh, release in October ever, but it also is the biggest movie since we went into this pandemic. And that is a really big thing to me personally just because I'm waiting for those little signs of normalcy to come back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care about the mask and the card, and I'm not tripping on that. I just want to be able to experience certain things that I miss, including the movies. Now, I personally didn't support this film in its first weekend, but who knows? Maybe it'll get some of my dollars eventually. Maybe I'll catch the drive-thru on the cheap just to check out how this story plays out and have something to complain about on Twitter. Anyway, moving on, let's go ahead and get into some news that actually just dropped earlier today. Apparently, Katherine Hahn inked a deal for a WandaVision spinoff on Disney+. Plus. Now, this is according to Variety. Quote, Hahn would reprise the role of Agatha Harkness in the series, which is described by sources as a dark comedy, though exact plot details remain under wraps. WandaVision head writer Jack Schaefer would serve as the writer and executive producer on the project. 
awesome news for Katherine Hahn. I think it's awesome that she actually got some money out of all that popularity that we were feeling for her back in what February, March, April. And I think it's cool that Disney and Marvel are open to inking some deals with people who get a good fan response. It shows me that they're paying attention, and it shows me that if we yell enough about something that we might just get it. I'm really excited for Katherine Hahn, and I'm really excited to see what they do with like a dark comedy. I think that would be really cool from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Quite frankly, I think a lot of us who've been paying attention, who've been around, you know, remember when Iron Man dropped, and I mean, remember when Blade came out, <laughs> quite frankly, are are waiting for more dark you know what I mean, heavy superhero content, you know what I mean? Honestly, I've had to go back and watch some old DCAU flicks, uh, DC, that's the DC Animated Universe movies, you can check them out on HBO Max, but I've been running those the last couple of weeks just because, you know, sometimes you want some drama, sometimes you want some depth and some character development, and not just, you know, the form formulaic so-called way that that Disney and Marvel tend to do things with that being said let's go ahead and jump into our next topic and that is the what if finale now I'm gonna be honest with y'all I was not a huge fan of the finale as a matter of fact I was not a huge fan of the whole second half of this season I think this season was very much front-loaded in certain ways, my favorite episode, and this isn't, you know, an abnormal opinion, but, it, you know, Doctor Strange, uh, I definitely liked the T'Challa Star-Lord episode, you know, a handful. There wasn't so much that I was just like, wow, I can't wait. Obviously, Marvel Zombies, that was pretty cool to see Spider-Man do his thing, but I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like the finale was just too many ideas without proper follow-through. It was hard to follow. And I'm going to try and do this. I No, I'm going to do it with spoilers. So spoilers ahead. Go ahead and skip ahead maybe five minutes. I'll try not to stick around too long and not spoil y'all. So skip ahead like five minutes. So here's the thing. I did not care for the obvious logic errors that were happening in it. And it totally took me out of the narrative. And the main one was the, um, the Infinity Crusher. I didn't. <laughs> Come on, man. That, like they, there were too many MacGuffins on the screen for me to like know what works in relevance to this. And it, if I don't understand what I'm looking at, then it's hard to know when you're being creative with something or whether or not something is someone's evenly matched. I thought the action was awesome. I got to give credit to the animators. I thought the animation was amazing. That that was honestly they saved some of the best animation for last some of the best choreography for last I thought that was really cool with the you know Black Widow shooting an arrow off the motorcycle I thought the the when Doctor Strange made all the Mjolnir like a hundred Mjolnir I liked when he had dragons coming out of his arm I liked a lot of it uh the T'Challa Star-Lord sticky fingers thing which apparently is like the most OP move against multiversal threats is just you know sticky fingers just throw somebody at them and hope that they can pickpocket them so good for t'challa star lord for being probably the craftiest of the multiversal avengers or the guardians of the multiverse and then also this again wasn't a popular take 
But this, I, I felt this way when I watched the episode. I am not a fan of Party Thor. I don't like. I just look. It's a, Thor is already a tough sell, and I feel like doubling down on like a character that's already, let's just say, not an intellectual. You know, more heart than than head. You know what I mean? And is already kind of um, silly. You know, why make him more dumb and more silly? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Thor had like party Thor has less heart than our Thor. And I so I just hate him. Like, I'm like, that's the main reason I like Thor was that he was like such a, a writer for his people. And he was like, really, I don't know, he was like a stand up dude, even if he was like an idiot and sometimes a little problematic, like he was a stand up guy. Party Thor just seems like a total like waste of time to me. Anyway, you know, I thought the ending was decent. I'll give them that too. I thought by the time we finally got to an ending and then we got to like, okay, how are they going to fix this? Because like by the end, there was a couple of times where I was like, dude, just beat Ultron now. Just beat Ultron now. And I would check the time and I'd be like, oh, there's so much left. There's no way this is it. So when Killmonger got him, I was like, whoa, I did not expect Killmonger to get the Infinity Stones. And then, you know, he gave the speech about saving each other's worlds and this and that. And quite frankly, I would have liked to hear the Watcher and him kind of speak up during that whole little speech. But either way, the little power struggle between the two and then them being encased in like that multiversal like glass snow globe type deal. I thought that was like super cool. That's like a dope little Easter egg you'll see on somebody's shelf in the back in like a movie one day or something dumb. I think that is a great way to harken back to what was the best episode of the series, uh, which was the Doctor Strange episode. But I don't know. I think as a show overall, What If was okay. But like I said in the last segment, man, I, I've been watching the DC animated universe movies and it's hard not to judge the story as much as I judge the animation. Even without adult themes, the the animated universe in DC definitely uh, has a, a hedge on Marvel. And I would like to see what, what what if season two has in store for us and see if they can kind of work out some of the kinks. Because... You know, I'm not excited for What If Season 2 yet. And we're going to have to see how all that works out. I, you know, and I still enjoyed WandaVision and Loki, like, much more. I thought their endings were super powerful. I like their setups and their premises more, their characters. It's just, this one didn't hit for me, y'all. Like, I'm sorry. I, I get that, like, other people really love the What If series, but I think how short the episodes are and trying to pack in like a whole movie plot or God, some of these episodes were like two and three movie plots. It's just too much. It's just too much. But anyway, that's enough of the TV and movie news. Let's go ahead and jump into the platform war segment where we keep a pulse on the major platforms in the gaming space and where they're headed to next. What's been going on over there at Sony well, we actually heard from Bill Roseman, the VP of Marvel Games, talking about Spider-Man 2 and being darker than the previous installments. Now, this was on This Week in Marvel podcast a couple of weeks back. 
Quote, if Marvel's Spider-Man was Star Wars, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 is kind of like our Empire Strikes Back. It gets a little darker. It's the next big chapter. Now, if you heard what I said just a minute ago about darker storytelling, I cannot wait for Spider-Man 2. I think it's my most anticipated game, period. You know, not released yet game, maybe like that and Starfield. With Venom being in it, Miles being in it, and Peter being in it, I, I just, I can't wait. And it sounded like that was Craven in the background. We're going to get Electro. Like, it's just, it's a lot going on, man. It's a lot going on, man. I, I really cannot wait. And I hope they can reenact some of my favorite Spider-Man comics within these titles. Because I think being able to retell some of those great stories and put your own twist on it, uh, you can have all the money. From every star, uh, from every Spider-Man fan. Next, we actually got an announcement from Sony about PlayStation game trials. Now, what is this? PlayStation game trials sounds a little similar to Xbox Game Pass in this way: it allows you to test games that you don't own. What's the catch? It's only on PlayStation Five, and it's set to a timer. So games will give you somewhere around five to six hours to test the game before you can before purchasing i think that is pretty generous but if you consider that the timer starts when the download starts and not when you start playing i think that is the thing that i take issue with with this service now if sony can tweak that and make it so it's when you start playing and not when you start downloading then i think it's going to be a little more consumer friendly because some people don't have good download speeds. I don't have good download speeds. I can stream just fine. I can have people streaming in five different rooms in this house. Be fine. But as soon as I want to download something, yo, mm-mm, that's taking time. So I definitely think that if they can change that, I can suggest it to people. But right now, I think it's if you have good download speeds and you have a PlayStation 5, Definitely give this product a try and report back. Let us know how, what you think of it. Now, the first games they're going to be introducing to the service, which is available now, is Death Stranding's Director's Death Stranding Director's Cut and Sackboy: A Big Adventure, uh, and these two are both available until October twenty eighth. So that is what's going on with Sony. Let's go ahead and move on to Microsoft now. Xbox apparently, is going to be releasing a special edition controller for its 20th anniversary. I got to take a look at it, and man, does it look nice, especially if you're a little more OG like me and saw the first Xbox came out, had one of those Duke controllers. The new controller is actually made to look like an OG see-through controller, the type of like those first DualShocks where you can see all the circuits and the different motors. I, 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 I love it. Obviously, it is a premium design because we're living in 2021 and people don't want to play on a controller from 2003, literally, but it is made to look like and inspired by the original Xbox and the 20 years that Xbox has had, and I think it looks really cool. I definitely want to pick one up, but it is on limited release, limited time only. I think this is the only time they're ever going to be selling it, so it's definitely going to be a bit of a collector's item. Pre-orders are live now, 
and you can get this this uh, new Xbox controller for $69.99, and it is releasing on November 15th. Now, let's get into that real Xbox news. Let's talk about Halo Infinite and its test flight that happened over the last couple of weekends. Ugh. I absolutely loved this game. It is one of the least frustrating shooters that I played. And that's a big compliment because every shooter is, you just want to rage quit. Like it's, it is one of the most, I mean, maybe outside of like fighting games. It is one of the, one of the games that will just make you rage quit the fastest. I typically play more fast paced shooters. You know, Halo is something to get used to. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to y'all. This is my first Halo game. Even though I'm from the 360 era and I'm from the Microsoft ecosystem or I lean more to the Microsoft ecosystem, Halo came out at a time when I was too young to play uh, uh, certain games outside, uh, inside my house. If I was at a cousin's house, maybe I'll be able to slide and play some shooters, but any violent video games I was playing was probably more the GTA style games than the Halo style of games. So I wasn't really exposed to Halo until after it kind of started making its downturn. So especially as a multiplayer game, it's something to get used to because of the high TTK, the high time to kill. Um, I'm used to like semi-realism, you know what I mean? Three bullets, you're down. This is like two clips and a grenade and you're down. It's crazy. And the fact that it's a physics-based shooter, you know, I'm, I'm still getting used to. It's definitely more based around movement and your ability to kind of do the dance, you know? And I, I'm, I'm still learning how to dance in Halo. And quite frankly, I'm bad, but I'm still having fun. And I can't say the same for most, you know, quote-unquote twitch shooters or, or, or fast-paced shooters. I, I don't think that I can say the same for Apex I can't say the same for Titanfall. I can't say the same for Call of Duty or Battlefield. I I just can't. If you're getting stomped, bro, that is rough. It's hard to have fun when you're just spawn die, spawn die, spawn die, spawn die. You know what I mean? Like, yo, yeah, being spawn trapped is rough. You know what I mean? But in Halo, everybody has a shot. Everybody has a little wiggle room if you know how to, you know what I mean? So... My biggest issue with the game is easily the progression system. Zero XP after a match, if you don't complete a contract, is just not friendly to new players like myself. I'm Some matches, I'm not going to do good. Some matches, I'm only going to complete the, like, complete a match contract. And that's, like, one out of two, one out of five, one out of whatever. Like, bro, if I play a whole match and I get zero XP, it, it makes me... It makes me nervous for the battle pass system more than it, anything. It's not so much, you know, my personal dopamine hit. It's just like for those kids and those adults and those gamers who are invested in the battle pass system, I don't want to have them feel as though they're cheated out of their money and their time because of this weird, tricky little way that they're doing the XP. Yeah, and then there's going to be XP boosts in the store for sale for real money. It just feels very icky. You know, um, and then lastly, on the whole Halo thing, I saw some discourse over the last couple of weeks, and as I'm sure you have, if you're on Twitter, um, Halo Infinite needs a BR was a 
a take that I've been hearing from, obviously, most popularly Dr. Disrespect. He was the big one. But I think a lot of other smaller creators and, and gamers in the space feel as though Halo needs a Battle Royale mode to stay competitive. And I just want to say to everybody who feels that way, there are plenty of gamers out there who want a quality experience that don't care about Battle Royale, just don't want to engage with that. I'm one of them. I love 6v6, 12v12, 24-24. You know what? I like free-for-all. I like search and destroy. I like capture the flag. I like uh, hard line. I like whatever headquarters, whatever mode you want to play. I'm down, but I do not like it's me versus a hundred people. And then I'm just knocked out. I don't, I don't want to just collect loot to hide from people. It's like a camper's paradise, this BR mode. It's, I thought we didn't like campers. And then we made a whole game mode around camping. Anyway, I'm not going to go on a whole battle royale mode like rant right now but let's just say i definitely don't think that halo needs it not only because it's hitting you in the nostalgia feels for some of the older gamers but also because i think it is a different kind of shooter that is a popular enough ip that people are going to want some diversity in their media diet and their gaming diet not everybody likes call of duty bro but still likes shooters you know what i mean maybe this we can siphon off a little bit of the borderlands crowd and then a little bit of the you know what i mean the uh the pc gamer crowd the valorants and the uh you know csgo crowd like i don't know i don't know who's gonna come over but i know that there's gonna be enough of a player base and i don't think this is gonna be a problem i think this is actually gonna be a game that has a long tail because it's fantastic and even longtime uh halo fans are enjoying it and new people to the franchise are enjoying it people who like Halo 5 and people who liked Halo 2 are both enjoying this game, which I think is amazing. How they thread that needle, wow, wow. So, without talking too long about Halo, because quite frankly, I can I can just keep talking about it. It, it was really, really good. I suggest you guys at least give the, the multiplayer, which is going to be free at launch, um, a try. Let's go ahead and jump into some Nintendo news. Now, a couple quick hits r- really fast, because... There's actually a lot of exciting news coming out of Nintendo right now. One, the Nintendo OLED model is officially out as of today. At the time, not at the time of this recording, but by the time you're listening to this, the the OLED model is officially out. I would say a lot of you who pre-ordered probably already have your hands on it. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, it has a larger OLED screen rather than an LED screen. It has an improved kickstand and the dock now includes a LAN port. And I would just say to all of you who aren't in the know, if you're not primarily playing it in handheld mode, there is virtually zero reason to play OLED. If you play dock only, don't trip unless you're like super competitive and you need that LAN port, in which case you can just buy the dock by itself. And the previous switch model is compatible. Also coming from Nintendo, Metroid Dread is out now, and the last time I checked on Metacritic, it had an 88. That is amazing for a 2D side-scrolling Metroid game. I'm really excited. This is likely to be the best-selling Metroid game of all time. Very happy for Metroid fans. Very uh, happy for the Metroid team who have been working on this for 
I, I mean, Jesus, when did the first Metroid come out? 89? 94? I don't know. I'm not that old. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Metroid is not my franchise, but, you know, if I keep watching reviews on this game, I might end up picking it up. Uh, at least between me and the roommate, who knows, maybe we'll fade up and split the cartridge or something. Next, uh, we have Animal Crossing Direct next week on October 15th. I know a lot of Animal Crossing fans are excited for this one. It's only going to be a 20-minute presentation, so don't expect a lot of content. But I definitely think they're going to be talking about whatever is coming up for the holiday season. I can't wait to see what people do. I can't wait for my partner to show me what she has on her island. Coming up next, because honestly, I think it's one of the the coolest, most little creative little sandbox games ever to not really have an objective. I mean, it does. I know you got to get a five-star resort or whatever, but no, you're just hanging out. And I, I think that's like the coolest thing. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. It just reminds me of some of the internet spaces we used to frequent as kids, like um, Club Penguin or Guy Online or whatever weird-ass place you used to hang out where it was cartoon characters and you guys just, you know, wore outfits and went to and did little virtual versions of what you already were doing in real life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I think that those kinds of spaces are really cool. I'm happy for Animal Crossing. I can't wait for the Direct coming up again next week, October 15th. Now, let's go ahead and get into some real Nintendo news. I'm excited about this. This this story had me excited because of... I, I don't know. I think I like when big businesses get into fights. Like, I, I'm serious. Like, it makes me, like, smile in a, in a really weird way because I feel like it's one of the few times where, like, us as consumers and, and people who really value the space might end up with, with a good result is when two just powerhouse, you know, companies go head to head. And, yeah, competition is good. Now, this isn't necessarily competition because this is a publication versus a, you know, video game publisher and developer but bloomberg and nintendo have been going at it for i mean honestly since the nintendo switch came out bloomberg has been trying to throw a dart as to when the 4k is going to come into the switch now i'm going to read you a quote directly from bloomberg and then we'll kind of get into the back and forth that happened here quote developers are making games for a nintendo 4k console that does not exist at least 11 companies, including Zynga, have tools from Nintendo to make 4K Switch games. Now, quick reminder, these rumors happen every year. We were here this same time last year, and the same exact thing was said by these same people. Maybe not the exact same writer, but the same publication, Bloomberg. Uh, and multiple other ones. I won't just put it all on Bloomberg. Bloomberg has been incorrect in the past, and particularly around the 4K aspect of the Switch. Before we got an OLED model, they got everything else right except for the 4K functionality. So, identifying the studio, you know, is bold, but I don't know, man. Having 11 sources makes it hard to ignore. So you're telling me 11 different companies are lying about developing at least Nintendo 4K games. I won't say Nintendo Switch 4K games, but 
I don't know. Maybe the language is what has everything messed up here. Now, of course, Nintendo responded. They rarely respond, but they they were, man, they were loaded and ready. Safety was off because right after the Bloomberg report came out, you know, usually PR teams needed some time to get together and figure out what they're going to say. Nope, not this time. This happened quick. Nintendo, in a tweet uh, from their investor account, mind you, said this, quote, A news report on September 30th, 2021, falsely claims that Nintendo is supplying tools to drive game development for a Nintendo Switch with 4K support. To ensure correct understanding among our investors and customers, we want to clarify that this report is not true. We also want to restate, as we announced in July... We have no plans for any new model other than Nintendo Switch OLED model, which will launch on October 21st. Now, I will admit, this denial did sound carefully worded because they kept saying Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Switch, but what if the next-gen console isn't called a Nintendo Switch? Maybe what Bloomberg is referencing isn't going to be called a Switch at all. And perhaps what Nintendo is saying they're tr- is true, they have no plans for a new model. That doesn't mean that a new model isn't in development, or at least being kicked around, or they don't have things ready. It means they don't have a plan or a timeline to release it in. Which, again, considering... The chip shortage, duh, no one knows when the next thing is coming out. We don't even know when this current generation of things are coming out, of of consoles. Look at how hard it is to get a PlayStation 5 and an Xbox. You think Nintendo isn't looking over there like, bro, we don't want those problems. People are still buying Switches, damn there, more than both of those consoles combined. So, like, they're not tripping. They're happy. Let's see how this OLED model sells if the oled model isn't selling well then fine maybe we'll see a new console sooner than we thought but i don't know man ultimately this just hurts nintendo's business whether it hurts sales or it hurts investor confidence and i think bloomberg should be maybe a little more responsible we'll see how this turns out but i i think if you you just picked up an oled model be happy with it don't trip and if not don't trip. There will be another Nintendo console one day. And honestly, it'll probably be like 2022, 2023, like end of 2022, 2023. I don't think guessing that on Bloomberg's end is like revolutionary. I don't think that's breaking news necessarily. I think a lot of people could guess within a year or two of when Nintendo is going to release their next console. Now, let's go ahead and jump into one of my favorite segments every week, and that is Five Minutes of Football. It is a lightning round of flash highlights from the San Francisco 49ers and the NFL. Now, who wants to start the timer? Ready? Go. First, let's go ahead and start with Brady versus Belichick. On Sunday Night Football, we had Tampa Bay at New England, Brady's return to Foxborough. And who pulled it out? None other than Tom Brady himself, winning 19-17. to New England missed a game-winning field goal in the closing minutes. And although Mac Jones looked good, a little better than a rookie, honestly, Brady did what Brady does, and that is win. Moving on, we had the Cardinals dominating 
the LA Rams, Arizona 37, LA 20. Now the scoreboard does not tell the whole story because it was actually a much bigger L. The Los Angeles Rams ended up scoring points in garbage time. Now, in some good news for the East Coast, the Giants and the Jets earned their first wins. The New York Giants won 27-21 over the New Orleans Saints in overtime, and let's just say that Saquon Barkley looks like he is back, and that is good news for the G-Men. Next, the New York Jets won their first and potentially only game of this season, 27-24 over the Tennessee Titans. Congratulations to Robert Sala, the San Francisco's former defensive coordinator. I miss that guy. He had good energy. Uh, Let's hope that he can get more than a couple of wins this season. Otherwise, he will be getting another high draft pick. Now, let's go ahead and jump into my San Francisco 49ers. Now, the last time that we talked, we were undefeated. We were 1-0, and we were heading into 2-0. We are now 2-2 after we fall to the Seattle Seahawks, 28-21, Seattle over San Francisco. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't think we look like contenders. The San Francisco 49ers do not look like contenders right now. We look like a 2-2 team. We deserve to be 2-2. The offense cannot execute. And the play calling feels... Lackluster, but I, I'll admit that I am not a coach. I, I'm not an X and, X's and O's guy. Uh, I'm really here for entertainment, and I want to see my team win. But it didn't it didn't feel as though he was calling plays this last week against Seattle for Trey Lance when Trey Lance was in the game or for Jimmy Garoppolo when Jimmy Garoppolo was in the game. So we're going to have to see. Maybe we'll revisit this after the bye week and kind of see where coach is at and where the QB situation is at. But honestly, I'm worried about the defense because they're working too hard to keep us in games, and that's that potentially could lead to more injuries. So I hope we get this QB situation sorted out, and I hope that people remember that the trade-off of Jimmy G for Trey Lance is probably going to be more touchdowns but also more interceptions. So if we're willing to trade that off, let's put the rookie in, and I'm, I'm all for saying free Trey Lance, so let's do it. I think Jimmy G's done what he can do in San Francisco. And and our last story for the five minutes of football, we're actually going to be talking about something a little more topical, and that is the fact that Sage Steele has been pulled off the air from ESPN. Now, this is from Variety. Why is Sage Steele being pulled off? It's because of her controversial comments on Jay Cutler's Uncut with Jay Cutler podcast around President Obama and COVID restrictions. Now, I'm not going to reiterate them here because I don't like amplifying bad takes, uh, but you can definitely go and check it out. Previously, this same person, Sage Steele, had made comments around women and how they dress in the workplace. Again, I'm not going to amplify her comments, but you can definitely go ahead and check them out for yourself. But I I will say this. It's always a shame when somebody carries around so much self-hate. And uh, entertainment in particular has a habit of finding out and and giving a, a stage to people with with self-hate, women who hate women or black people who hate black people. So let's hope that this is a good checking for Sage Steele. And she, at the very least, if she wants to keep her job over at ESPN, learns to watch her mouth. Uh, And as far as how she feels about race issues, you know, that's her business. But definitely, again, watch your mouth. With that, we're going to go ahead and end the five minutes of sports segment. 
We're going to go ahead and actually jump into our second break. Yes, you are getting an extra long episode this week because I could not pass this one up. When we come back, we're going to be jumping into the trigger warning topic uh, on Far Cry. And we're going to be talking about representation and poor game design. And we're just going to really sink our teeth into this one. So why don't you guys go ahead and come back? I am Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. What's going on? Welcome back to Hardcore Casual. My name is Wack Ops. Let's go ahead and jump right on into the trigger warning topic of the week. This is where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves more attention. Now, this one is a little sticky because, quite frankly, I'm speaking on a subject that I don't have a lot of information on, but it did definitely have an impact on me, and I had... I had to bring it to your attention because I want to have an open discussion, not only with the community, but communities outside of myself and see their reaction to Far Cry 6. Now, our conversation is going to be mostly around poor game design versus representation. Now, if you want some more insight to the conversation I'm talking about, go ahead and visit Jordan Miner. He's over at PC Mag and uh, check out his Twitter. He's definitely had some interesting tweets surrounding this topic. And uh, if you just want a review from a Latino person of color, go ahead and check out Diego Argueo's uh, review of Far Cry 6 over at Polygon. Now, before we get too deep into the conversation, let's go ahead and just do a quick refresh. Far Cry 6, the latest from Ubisoft. If you've played them one, you've played them all. Far Cry 6 has received a Metacritic score of 75 as of today. And again, the user score is not out yet. Um, But the main complaints stem from the game engine being a little dated. And quite frankly, it being another game using the Ubisoft formula. Honestly, I have never seen so many reviewers so upset about having to play what feels like the exact same copy and paste game. They've played three other times, at least, Far Cry 3, 4, and 5. But also, I've seen it compared to Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Odyssey. I've seen it compared to Watch Dogs Legion. And if you played any of these games, there's a good high likelihood that you're going to find Far Cry 6 to be repetitive and overly familiar. But what really opened this up for me, why I'm bringing it to your attention now, and I'm kind of framing it around how it's being received is because there are interesting conversations on Twitter surrounding the Far Cry 6 discourse, specifically around POC gamers, creators, and journalists. So this was really the crux of it, and this was my main question. Should we, as, you know, people of color, gamers, embrace a game like Far Cry 6 for its representation, or should it be, or should it be our responsibility to hold games like this accountable, not only for game design, in Ubisoft's case, but also for the misrepresentation littered throughout the title. Now, I am not um, a Latino or Latinx, you know what I mean? I'm not of that descent. So I can't directly speak to this. So I reached out to see what kind of comments were 
common in the you know Latino reviewer space for this title because I would imagine that they would have a better insight and understanding as to what I'm seeing than myself. But I can tell you that it's not hard to see things once it's pointed out to you. I, I definitely think that the clear answer is holding these games accountable for their misrepresentation, as well as the actual game design, because I don't want to celebrate a bad game just because there's black people or brown people or women or gay people in it. You know what I mean? We shouldn't celebrate games we don't enjoy just because they look like us. We should have the the wherewithal to speak up when a game just doesn't hit. It's not a big deal. But what was interesting was the conversation that came after that. And that was a conversation highlighting the difference between games journalists and creators. POC creators have been highlighting Far Cry 6 because of its representation. But creators also are an extension of PR and marketing in many ways, uh, mostly by accepting free access to something uh, without being able to speak open and honestly about it. Also, you know, journalists are being critical of it. Specifically, POC journalists are being critical of it, not only as a game that is incredibly repetitive uh, for people who have played it before, but also because of the cultural aspects of it that are being misrepresented. So, look, here's my take on the matter, right? Again, not a Latino person, but I am a person of color and I have been misrepresented in games before, in media before, and I, I've definitely had this conversation in different ways and around different topics, whether it be literal politics or it just be media and entertainment. Look, man, no compromises anymore. We're too far gone for that. We're living in, God, it's about to be 2022. No more compromises. Either these companies and these businesses who want our participation, they want our dollar, they want our clicks, they want our praise, they have to give us proper representation or don't use our cultures as marketing material. Because honestly, honestly, if you took the setting off of this title, I don't know that many people would have anything good to say about it. So the fact that people are literally buying this to feel in touch with a culture that is not theirs and you're misrepresenting them. Ah, I don't know if I'm ever going to rock with that, especially when you're just Ubisoft. If this was another company, maybe I could have a little more understanding, but straight up, not Ubisoft. They have way too many um, marks on their record. Now, as far as you, as, as the gamer, as the consumer, the person who's actually giving them money, listen, I, I understand. I am conflicted. And I won't be shaming anyone for enjoying Far Cry 6. But if you do... Know that this does not count as proper representation and thus can be interpreted as disrespect. You know what I mean? Like, if you dig it, dig it. But don't go out there thinking like, oh, what's the problem? Like, somebody's allowed to have a problem with this title, not only for the gameplay, but also for the cultural aspect. And we have to be able to value people of color's criticism in the same way we like to celebrate you know, people of color's representation. If we don't value POC criticism, then they don't have the right, the privilege of celebrating us in representation and using our representation to make them money. 
And that's, listen, that that is a hill I'm willing to die on just because at the end of the day, I don't like the idea of anybody's people being made a caricature for dollars, especially ones that they're not seeing, especially to make some other group of people fat and rich. I don't like that idea, and I don't think that that is something that we should promote. So that is why I'm not going to be purchasing the title. But again, no judgments. This is just a reminder for perspective, to seek out perspective. This is not a judgment. I honestly was very interested in Far Cry 6. I hope it does well, and I hope that Ubisoft doesn't use if it gets rated badly and if its its sales are poor i hope that is it that it isn't judged because they decided to put people of color as the the main set dressing i don't want them to blame the brown skin tone of the characters for poor sales when it's their misrepresentation and their poor game design as to why people do not like the title As far as non-POCs, you know what I mean, reviewing the title, I haven't heard anything about representation. And that's, you know, whatever, I get it. It's not really their place to speak on, but I have heard plenty about poor game design. Uh, Or repetitive, or just, God, carbon copy, you know what I mean? Uh, So much and so that I've heard them be compared to EA and sports titles. That's how much of a copy it, it, it has been. So yeah, this this has been a tough one for me because it hits home uh, because I care a lot about the greater POC community, the greater uh, black and indigenous uh, people of color community. But with that, I will leave you. Anybody playing Far Cry 6, definitely shoot me some highlights. I'm going to be watching content on the game. I'm, I'm just, I, they can't have my money. So let's let's go ahead and move on. We're going to go ahead and start ending the show here, but I don't want you to forget to holler at me. Come and join us and be a part of a growing community, and don't forget to support the show. Again, you can reach us at our email. That's wackops at gmail.com, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter or on Instagram. Again, wackops, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. That is my handle on both platforms. Don't forget to share the show. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holla, I need the follow. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy podcasts. Also, another quick announcement. We're going to be starting a weekly poll over on our Twitter page, so go ahead and find us there to participate. This week's poll is, what's been your favorite Disney Plus MCU show so far? Between WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and What If, and we will be reading off the poll results next week when we return. Now, I will leave you as I always leave you with the shout out of the week where we give people their flowers and hold them up high, and I got two for you this week. One shout out goes to Khalif Adams for getting the bag and sealing a deal to be streaming 
the NFL Thursday night stream. This is going to be through Burkago Sports Network, live sports on Twitch with Khalif Adams. You can find him on his Twitch channel, Spawn on Me. I'm definitely going to be watching that as soon as I'm done recording here and catching the end of this Thursday night game. Very excited for Khalif Adams. That is actually like a super big deal. Getting an NFL contract, that is no joke. And I really, really hope that people will come out and support him. And I really hope that I'm able to watch in my region because I know how sports can be sometimes and they'll just shut you out. It started this Thursday with the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, and our last shout out will be going to the IATSE. That is all of the workers who work on our films, our movies, our sound, our all of that within Hollywood. A lot of hardworking people who do not get the recognition that they deserve are asking for better pay and better representation. So I'm definitely down with their strike. They have voted to strike just this last week, so definitely expect some shakeups in the entertainment space as far as production goes. And quite frankly, a shout out to everyone else striking right now. I heard Kellogg's people are striking. I heard nurses and hospitals, uh, teachers, unions, a whole bunch of people are striking right now. So shout out in solidarity, man. Get your money, man. I'm, I'm really happy that Workers in this country are fighting for more rights because I've been definitely paying attention to the jobs and uh, the job market and and what kind of opportunities are out there for people coming out out of this pandemic. And for those of us who are privileged enough to not have to think about that every day, it is something that I like to remind people of, show support and show love for people fighting for their right to live a happy and healthy life. But with that, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to head out and go jump into uh, this Thursday night football game. And hopefully by next week, I'll have my new Xbox and I'll have some some exciting news to talk to you all about. Uh, and God, dude, wish me luck on beating Betty the Yeti in Death's Door. But with that, I want to thank you very much for coming out. I am Wack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, WACOPS. You can also follow us on social media at WACOPS, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.